We're HealthScape, a podcast exploring the healthcare ecosystem through intimate conversations with healthcare's biggest leaders. This podcast is brought to you by the Healthcare Club and supported by the Healthcare at Kellogg program at Northwestern University's Kellogg School of Management. Welcome to the HealthScape podcast. I'm your host, Connor Othheim. We're thrilled to welcome today's guest, Pankaj Shani. Pankaj is the CEO of Madanta, a private super-specialty hospital based in Gurgaon, India. Founded in 2009, Madanta treats more than 22,000 patients annually with 30 super-specialties and a presence across multiple cities. Prior to joining Madanta, Pankaj worked in consulting, most recently as an associate partner at McKinsey. Pankaj is a Kellogg alum and also holds a BA in mathematics from St. Stephen's College, Delhi University. Pankaj, thanks so much for taking the time to speak with us. We're interested in learning more about Madanta's work and your perspective on the evolving healthcare landscape in India. But first, I'd love to learn more about your personal journey to Madanta. You worked a long time in consulting before pivoting to an in-house role. How did you decide to join Madanta? Thank you, Connor. So first of all, thank you for having me uh, on the podcast. And it's always great to be reconnected into uh, Kellogg uh, uh, and to Kellogg students and to the Kellogg uh, community. So thank you very much. I do appreciate it. In, in terms of my journey, you know, before uh, Kellogg, even when I started out thinking around what I wanted to do when I uh, essentially grew up and how I thought about moving into uh, an MBA at Kellogg. And then after my MBA, I joined McKinsey in New York. And then I moved back to India with McKinsey. And there was this entire idea around trying to figure out what you want to do. And I think part of the journey of the MBA and part of the journey of, uh, frankly speaking, consulting is actually part of figuring out what it is that you want to do. And actually, in my experience, I spent a lot of time uh, in McKinsey working in what we used to call the TMT space, which is tech, media, and telecom, both in the US as well as in India. And I did zero healthcare work all throughout. But what I realized during the course of my time in uh, McKinsey was that I enjoyed the kind of work which really had more to do with what we in the firm used to call business building. And where there was a lot more hands-on stuff, it was not sitting making blue sky strategy, but where there was a lot more active involvement. And in India, in consulting, the joke is always that you get strategy for free along with the implementation because of the fact that there's such a strong focus on driving execution uh, and people don't really want to pay client fees for, uh, for just strategy. And I had an opportunity to do a lot of that part of work. And while the course of doing this work, uh, our office in McKinsey is actually right across the street from Medanta. So Dr. Trehan, who's the founder of uh, Medanta, he approached and said, look, you know, frankly, he said, it's time to get a real job now and, and work on uh, all of this stuff and start to think about implementing some of the stuff you've learned at Kellogg and the stuff you've learned at McKinsey and get in and, and make a big difference and see how you can help us with streamlining processes. The organization was just under one year old at the time, streamlining processes, thinking about how you can bring some of these learnings in and actually make a difference. And my thought around this was actually that if you do want to get into business, it's better to get into things when you are willing to roll up your sleeves, willing to start on the ground. In fact, my first assignment in Medanta was really 
thinking about the number of times somebody enters a patient room and disturbs a patient. And the joke is always that the worst place to get in redressed is a hospital because you're constantly interrupted by, by the nursing staff, by the, by the FNB staff, by the housekeeping staff. So the idea was, how can we actually reduce the number of times a patient gets disturbed? And that was my literally my first assignment. And, you know, I spent a lot of time thinking about how to reduce the number of time housekeeping has to come into the room. So it was a real step down from being an associate partner at McKinsey, but it was a solid grounding in terms of the kind of work that is expected when you get into the nitty gritties of an operation. And my reason to leave McKinsey at that time was that I thought the longer I stay here, the less likely I will be willing to roll up my sleeves. My ego will become even more than perhaps it already was. And so I thought the time to leave is now and, and actually figure out what you know the real world is like. So that was the reason for kind of uh, getting into all of this. The other side of this story, which I should do for full disclosure purposes, is that uh, my father-in-law is the founder of this organization. So this was not something that came out of the blue in terms of me knowing about the organization or him knowing about me. In fact, I remember when I was right in the middle of my uh, in, just had finished my internship at McKinsey, New York, and I'd come back to India in the middle of the two-year MBA program. Uh, uh, he called me up and he said, what are you up to? Uh, I'm thinking of investing in this, uh, building out this hospital. I need you to come and help me draft the information memorandum because we're going to meet investors tomorrow. So I actually sat in his office and drafted out what was the original information memorandum to seek funding for this building. And I guess in some ways, you know, it was then uh, coming full circle of, of actually starting working here. So that was about, you know, over 10 years ago. And it's been uh, quite a fun ride since then. Yeah, that's a, that's a great story. You joined Medanta early in its inception. Can you talk about the role that you've played in growing Medanta's operations over the past decade? Sure. So let me quickly tell you about what's happened with Medanta since the time I joined. When we joined and, and the original thought process behind this institution was really uh, in its model on the lines of a Mayo Clinic or a Cleveland Clinic or a Johns Hopkins. And the idea was to see that if you can bring that standard of care to this part of the world. And, and frankly, when this hospital started, which was in the end of 2009, there was really no institution in India uh, of the caliber of a Mayo or a Cleveland uh, in the healthcare space, especially not in the private healthcare space. And so what we wanted to do was really construct the, the pinnacle of healthcare for this part of the world. And it's not only India, right? It's all the way from Africa to, you know, parts of Asia, which, which we thought really needed to benefit from uh, this standard of care. And so the construct behind the facility, the construct behind the kind of technology and infrastructure that we put in, the, the clinical talent that we brought on board, was really all modeled around being able to deliver the best in the world. And we always said that we will not benchmark ourselves to the best standards in India, but we will benchmark ourselves to the best standards globally. And that was the original vision. And there's a lot of philosophy around that. And, and of course, we had the opportunity. I mean, those institutions are 100 years old. Uh, we are only 10 years old. So we had the opportunity to learn from the things that they've done, learn from some of the mistakes that they may have made, and of course, customize this for the Indian market. So that's how we started Medanta. That was end of 2009. We started with one hospital. It was 1,250 beds at that point in time. And then we have grown from there now to a network of five hospitals plus some clinics. And our sixth hospital actually will start construction. And all of them have been built on this model of saying, can you deliver the highest standard of care that is possible to deliver in those communities and to be benchmarked to the best in the world? 
that is what we had set out to do and that is what we've been trying to do all along this journey i started out my own personal role really started out in focusing completely on the operations of the facility that we have in our flagship hospital and like i said i started my journey looking at things like how can you make housekeeping more efficient how can you make uh, you know patient disturbances less less i remember one point in time i was thinking about how can you make the patients who get out at the main porch how can you make the cars move more efficiently so it was it was not a lot of exciting work i mean there was a lot of standing in front of lifts and seeing uh, elevators and seeing how quickly you can get people up and down from the elevators and reduce queuing time so uh, i mean dr professor sunil chopra became somebody i remembered a lot because his operations class i probably should have uh, taken a few more of those classes but it was hardcore uh, operations and getting sorted on that and then slowly from there i started to take on more roles which had what i call a quasi clinical approach uh, and that started to look at things like how do we think about infection control practices being improved how do we think about things like antibiotic stewardship being improved or how do you think about delivering complex care when a patient has multiple comorbidities now i'm a i'm not a doctor i don't have any any background in uh, healthcare before this job so a large part of what i actually did was lean on some of my training and some of my experience uh, from my prior prior jobs or my prior uh, education to actually think about look fundamentally problems are the same and fundamentally you need to think about breaking down these problems addressing the solution and then the most important thing was that you actually had to deal with the people challenges so what i realized is that most of the time people know what to do they even know how to do it but they don't want to do it because they have to interact with somebody that they don't necessarily like and that actually ends up being the crux of large part of the operational problems and so i think we spent a lot of time uh, thinking about you know how to think about strategy or how to think about uh, what could be the problem solving approach when really a lot of this boils down to people and that's kind of one of the things that i really learned when i got into the operations and very different from the life in the consulting world because at the end of the day you step away and it becomes somebody else's problem here it was really your problem and the crux of it was actually understanding how do you get it done no matter what and so you know just before this actually i was in a meeting with some people and they were telling me about you know we should do this we should do that and i said yes you should go ahead uh, and it's not a question of you know figuring out what needs to get done it's a question of implementation so one thing that i learned in uh, in my experience here is that life is implementation everything else you know kind of goes by the wayside and that's been my journey uh, and you know subsequently then i started to take on roles which included things like outreach sales and marketing uh, finance and some of the other functions that weren't reporting into me at the time and then of course we expanded out beyond this facility into other facilities and so the concept came from one kind of high end unit to looking at scale thinking about how do you replicate practices how do you ensure that you build a brand across a network how do you think about you maintain a, a consistency in a value system across the network so that's kind of been the journey for us and we are actually as we speak right in the middle of our process of going public we have filed our draft prospectus to for our ipo and so right now we're in the middle of of the entire road shows and all that activity and that's also a new learning for me in terms of thinking about now how you will deal with the external environment which uh, at least until this point in time we were reasonably sheltered from because we had private equity investors now we will have public investors and that's going to be a whole new journey uh, not to mention the covid pandemic has shown uh, that healthcare is uh, you know one of the most important if not the most important industries anywhere in the world 
and that fundamentally it's going to change in, in terms of how people think about healthcare and how we as healthcare providers think about delivery of healthcare. So it's been a fun ride and uh, still very much on. Yeah, sounds like a very exciting ride, Pankaj. You talked at the end about some of the, the growth that Madanta has seen. What has been Madanta's growth strategy and are there particular areas of technology or treatment that you're looking to expand into in the near term? So the way Medanta has grown is that we've done two things. One is, of course, when we started out, we, we decided that you can't be focused on only one or two uh, clinical areas because disease doesn't happen in isolation. And we always had this idea that you don't treat the disease, you have to treat the human. And what that means is that we tried to put together kind of the entire spectrum of healthcare needs from head to toe to say that if you have to deliver the best in healthcare, you have to be able to deliver that on a comprehensive and complete manner and look at it holistically, not necessarily just look at it in isolation for one particular organ or one particular disease that you are actually trying to treat. So we always looked at this across the board and our growth has been now in terms of figuring out three aspects really. One is going deeper into each of these clinical areas and talking about what are the innovations medically, what are the innovations in terms of uh, latest advancements, whether it is technology, whether it is practices, whether it is uh, new ways of thinking about disease. So that's been one, one kind of the growth verticals, which I, which I look at as really going deep into the particular specialties and the areas that we have. And we've super specialized in certain areas. So within particular departments, there will be doctors who only specialize in, in a subfield of that. And we've been able to do that because of the model which we follow, which is similar to the kind of academic medical centers that you will see in the US. The second aspect of growth, of course, for us has been growth in terms of different geographies, rolling out our facilities in different cities in the country. And a lot of that approach has really been more than anything, thinking about where can we go where there is a need for patient care that is, uh, that is an underserved area. I mean, India is a country of a billion plus people. So we have a need for healthcare everywhere. Uh, but there are certain cities where we found that there is a huge need. So there's a the largest state in India is called Uttar Pradesh. The capital city of that is Lucknow. It's a state of 200 million people. And really, I mean, that's a, almost two thirds of the United States. And there is no real high-end private facility of the size and scale that we have set up in that entire state. So there is just a huge need for us to be able to provide this kind of quality healthcare, quality infrastructure. And that's been our second aspect of growth, which is the geographic expansion. The third aspect of growth, in my opinion, may be the most interesting. And that is redefining how healthcare gets delivered. And a lot of this has been discussed in the U.S., some of it driven by insurance companies, some of it driven by the providers themselves, and, and in fact, some of it even being driven by patients. And this is what I call the disaggregation care. So up until now, what we've always done, and we still do, and it's around the world, it's not just here in India, is you bring the patient to the care. And now what we need to start to think about is taking the care to the patient. And this means many different things across the care continuum. And it means many different things based on the disease or based on that particular patient. So if you think about it, normal practice would be that you would come in for surgery. Maybe you come in the day before you get your workup pre-operation, you get your surgery, you'll spend some time in recovery, and then maybe you get back home. And we kind of view your entire stay in the hospital as your episode of healthcare delivery. In fact, it's very little health that's actually happening there. What you're actually doing is what I call acute disease intervention. Almost no health that we deliver in most of healthcare. Uh, we're actually just doing disease or treatment. 
But now imagine if I change this paradigm and I say that, you know what, I can actually send somebody to your home to collect the sample. I can review your blood reports using technology. I can use devices, uh, whether it's companies like remote ECG or remote other devices to actually assess your basic diagnostics. And I can actually consult with you remotely and you come in day of surgery. So you don't stay the night before in the hospital. You get operated and I send you home the same day. And the reason I can do that is because I'm going to send a nurse to your house the next day. I'm going to have your medicines uh, delivered at home. I'm going to have a consultant call you on, on the video. I'm going to send a occupational or a physiotherapist to ensure that your rehabilitation happens. So now I've taken what was otherwise maybe two, three days stay in the hospital and I've converted into zero days stay in the hospital. But I can do that because I've got technology. I can do that because I've got services that I can deliver at your home. So I'm actually disaggregating healthcare, moving it out of a complicated, complex system like a hospital, maybe delivering parts of it in a clinic, maybe delivering parts of it at your home. So that is one of the big areas that I think will be the growth for us in Medanta, but also for the industry as a whole, not just here, but globally. And the other aspect of this disaggregation and redefining the paradigm of healthcare, I mentioned we spend most of our time talking about disease and almost no time talking about health. Now, imagine that you reorient yourself and say it is not about disease treatment, but it is about health. So today, most of us or those of us who are more health aware will spend maybe four, five, six hours once a year and we will go for our annual physical or our annual health check. And the best news we are hoping for is that there's nothing wrong with you. And then we go about our normal lives, we ignore our health completely, and we go back the following year. If we're very diligent, we will do it regularly. And then we again hope and pray that you haven't committed any sins during the course of this last one year that is going to raise the red flag on any of your diagnostic tests or with your physician. Now, imagine you reorient yourself around this and say that instead of doing that, can I as a healthcare provider think of providing an annual maintenance contract for your body? And I will actually work with you to ensure that you will be healthy. And I will work with you to ensure that you actually inculcate the behaviors that are appropriate for your background, for your age profile, for your gender. So if you're a male in your 40s, the, the health profile, the behavior that I need to give you may be very different from if you're a female in your 50s. And if I can orient my care providing to be more focused on keeping you out of hospital, keeping you out of the clinic and actually managing your health rather than addressing your disease once you have it. That I think will be game changing in terms of the way we think about healthcare. And today, some of this discussion has started in parts of the world, especially in the US, most of it, frankly, driven by insurance companies because they've already taken the premium from you. And now they're figuring out how to spend zero amount of dollars on your health. And the best way they can do that is to keep you as far away from a hospital as possible, especially in the US where, frankly, nobody can afford those kind of, of treatments. So when you look, look at institutions like a Kaiser Permanente in California, uh, it's very interesting. They are not focused only on building hospitals. What they're doing is they're building community centers. They're building gymnasiums. They're building like restaurants and, and hangout places because they've realized the number one problem for health in 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 the baby boomer category is actually boredom. So they're creating environments where these people can actually have friendships so that they don't land up in hospital you know, three months later. 
this is the paradigm shift that is happening in parts of the world. And I think you'll see that coming here as well. Yeah, that's really exciting to see some of the ways that, that you're looking at how can we do care differently. And I, I think we do see that shift starting globally, but it looks like Medanta has put a, an extra focus on that. One of the things I was curious to talk to you about, you, you've talked some about how there's a real need for that high quality care in India and, and a lack of, you know, a lot of patients don't have that accessible to them in their area. What do you think is needed to build investment in India's healthcare system and its infrastructure? So look, for the easy thing to do, frankly, in terms of uh, building out healthcare infrastructure, I mean, it's not easy because it costs money, but the easiest thing to do is actually put up a building and fill it with equipment. Because the only thing that that takes is money. And in a, in a country like India, money is in short supply. Frankly, globally, money is in short supply. But that's only one part of the puzzle. So there needs to be a significant amount of investment in infrastructure, both from the public side, which is the government, as well as from the private side, which is private individuals. And this infrastructure and investment needs to be in every which way. It is not only about building uh, high-end institutions like Medanta. It is about building this right from the primary care level all the way to the tertiary care level. But that's only one aspect of it. The most important aspect of this is to think about it, that who is actually going to provide the care? Because if I put up a big fancy building and I buy the latest CT scan and MRI machine, and there is no doctor to actually provide the treatment, it's of no use. And unfortunately, in India, there's plenty of stories in both the public and the private space where this has already happened. And you see hospitals have been built and there are no doctors to treat the patients. So what we actually need to think about is how these three things work together. You need the high-end doctors to be able to deliver the highest standard of care. You need the highest quality of technology to be able to provide the latest care. And then you need the highest end of infrastructure. But this is only one aspect of it when you're talking about certain standard of care or a certain nature of disease. A lot of this can be done very intelligently. So if you look at how you think about about delivering healthcare across the range of diseases, you don't have to have a really high-end hospital for everything. You don't have to have a you know, triple qualified US board certified surgeon for every kind of care. There's a lot of stuff that can be delivered in a much more efficient, much more optimal way. So when you think about this, the way in which care has been perceived as high quality, it has always been perceived perceived as high quality because it apes what we are used to seeing in the West. So a simple example of this is in the US, I think for the most part, you'll find only single patients in one room in an ICU. But we realize that that means that there's going to be a much higher cost. While we do have single rooms for ICU, we also have patients where there are two patients in the same ICU room, but they are distanced separately. They are staffed with separate nurses. There is no interaction and cross-infection with them but I have reduced my cost of infrastructure by half because I have put two beds in the same facility that otherwise would have housed one bed. There are similar stories where, whether it is in Africa or whether it is in parts of India, where they have actually flipped the hospital. So you have put the corridors on the outside of the building rather than on the inside of the building because you know what, you don't need air conditioning to ensure that you always have sterility because frankly speaking, these parts of the world can't afford air conditioning. What you have done, though, is that you have reoriented what it means to deliver high quality care, not being high cost care. Even at the kind of 
infrastructure that we have in in our facility in Medanta, which, like I said, is very similar to a Cleveland or a Hopkins, and I've had the fortune of visiting some of these facilities. I mean, you stand in an ICU in Johns Hopkins or Cleveland Clinic, and you stand in one of our ICUs. Frankly speaking, it doesn't look that different. But if you want to get a coronary artery bypass in the United States, it's going to cost you upwards of $100,000. Frankly speaking, my surgeon may have done more coronary artery bypasses at probably the same, if not better, outcomes than some of the leading clinicians in the United States. And it's going to cost you somewhere between $5,000 to $6,000. And you know what? If you come down from America, you can probably throw in a trip to the Taj Mahal to go with it for free. That's kind of the way in which we have reoriented the delivery of care. So we deliver very, very high-end care at a very low cost. But the problem in India is one of scale and population. We just don't have enough facilities. We just don't have enough doctors. And so we have to look at things like, how do I do skill shifting? Can I get a nurse or a physician's assistant to do part of the job what a nurse does? Can I get a nurse's aide to do part of the, uh, sorry, part of the job that a doctor does? Can I get a nurse's aide to do part of the job that a nurse does? Can I get a ward boy to do part of the job that a nursing aide does so that now I have optimized the care in such a manner that I am actually extracting the maximum return from that particular resource. But these are things, Connor, which are easy to talk about in, in forums like this and much harder to get executed on the ground because the fact of the matter is that if you are a top of the line surgeon working uh, in, in any part of the world, you may be willing to come back and, and work in a city like Delhi or Bombay, or you may even be willing to work, and we've seen this in a, in a city like Lucknow and Patna, where an organization like Medanta puts up a fancy hospital for you to work. But are you really willing to go down to that village and actually spend time there delivering care? And it's the same thing in the United States. So people like working in the big cities. They like working in the big institutions. How many people want to work in the you know, rural Appalachian mountains trying to deliver care to the people there? So I think fundamentally, the issues remain the same. The difference, though, is that the gap between what we have in India and what have been seen in many parts of the rest of the world is just too huge. And for far too long, India has neglected its investment in healthcare. Now, fortunately, things are changing. Over the last five, six years, uh, the government has gotten much more serious on this. Healthcare has become on the national agenda, both politically as well as publicly. And of course, COVID now has shown that it doesn't mean whether you're rich or poor doesn't matter because the virus is going to get you no matter what. And this, I think, is one of the great realizations of this pandemic, the silver lining, if you like, which is that the virus is not discriminating, even though we may be. And what that means is now people suddenly realize that this is important stuff. We need to figure out a mechanism to deal with this because like they've been said, nobody is safe until everybody is safe. And that's how we have to think about delivery of healthcare in this country. We need to make a mechanism to be able to provide healthcare for everybody. And it is a humongous challenge. Yeah, very big challenge. But it's really exciting to learn about the ways that Madanta is, is, is dealing with that challenge and really helping change healthcare in India. Pankaj, I really appreciate you coming on the show today. It was really interesting to talk with you and I appreciate your time. Thank you so much for having me. I look forward to heading back to Evanston sometime soon. Yeah, we look forward to having you. Thank you for listening. Support us by subscribing to our podcast. If you'd like to learn more about healthcare at Kellogg, visit us at the website linked in our podcast description. Have a great day.